listening to The Anthony Ferrella Show, presented by WDSR, or better known as Duquesne Student Radio, the number one rated college sports radio show at Duquesne University. Now, here's your host, Anthony S. Ferrella III. I'm sitting here looking at some numbers and found an interesting stat or two that speaks to how good Jay Wright's Villanova Wildcats were this season. It has been 106 games since Villanova has lost by double digits. Yes, it has been 106 games since Villanova has lost by double digits. More interestingly, the Wildcats are the first team since North Carolina to win each game of the tournament by 10 or more points, leading to the national title. As John Rothstein puts it, Villanova basketball, a Fortune 500 company, and to me, it's that and a whole lot more. If the word excellence had one definition, it would just read Villanova basketball. That team would beat anyone in the country in a seven-game series, and it wouldn't be remotely close, no doubt about it. But is it time to start giving Jay Wright the credit he so rightfully deserves? I believe so, and so should you. Somebody else whom you should be giving a whole lot of credit to is our special guest, Laura Rutledge. Talk about probably one of the most challenging schedules in the country. I don't know how she ever has free time to do anything, but when you love something enough, the word work no longer applies. Laura is one of the top reporters at ESPN and the SEC Network and continues to climb up the ladder day in and day out. Paul Feinbaum said it best on the show last week. Every time I say this, she gets mad, but I mean, I I, I, I say to her, um, you know, two or three years from now, I'm going to be in New York, uh, you you know, seeing shows and looking up at the skyscrapers like a typical tourist, and I'm going to bump into you on Fifth Avenue. And uh, I'm gonna say, "Hey, Laura, uh, remember me? I'm Paul Feinbaum." <laughs> and she's gonna like turn her, no- she's gonna turn her nose up and walk away. She goes back to uh, NBC to host the Today Show. Um, she will be a megastar. She's well on her way, and uh, it's been one of the. Uh, I know I'm, I'm rambling on here, but it's been one of the true uh, honors and joys of my career to uh, to work with her. Hey, by the way, don't forget to tweet us at AF underscore WDSR and we'll get your comments or questions on for sure. I had the chance to speak with Laura earlier today and here's what she had to say. Now joining us is Laura Rutledge, an ESPN and SEC Network reporter who is the host of SEC Nation, the traveling game day show airing weekly at a different SEC school during football season. Also, she co-hosts the Paul Feinbaum show from time to time, which is seen daily on the SEC Network from 3 to 7 p.m. Plus, you might catch her doing some sideline reporting for really whatever sport is in season in the Southeastern Conference. She does it all. Laura, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. And uh, first, before I get into a little bit of your life and early on, uh, how was the South Carolina spring game this past weekend? Oh, it was hilarious. Uh, For those who may not know, we had guest officials. So, a few of us media members also got to be officials in the game and went through the entire training that uh, the officials would go through and basically learned how to be equipped to officiate a college football game, which is much easier than it looks. And I don't think anyone thinks it's actually that easy, but it was a difficult task to say the least. And we had a great time. Uh, I'm definitely glad that I will never have to officiate a game again because I much prefer doing my actual job, but it was enlightening nonetheless. I have a whole new 
sound respect for officials and what they go through. What was it like to be uh, a ref for the game? Obviously, you reported for the SEC Network during the day, but uh, what was it like to really see what the refs have to deal with uh, on a game basis? Yeah, I mean, you just really see how much they go through and, and the hours and hours of training and critique that they put themselves through, even just to officiate a game that they like they would do every single week. And uh, I think, too, just the physical toll that it takes in your body is incredible what they go through they're in great shape you're going the entire game you know they don't even walk on the field they jog it is constant movement and constantly just approaching it from that level of focus and that level of physical um fitness that i mean we, we were all pretty sore after the game and <laughs> it was it was definitely a unique experience that's unbelievable. Um, so now I want to shift into your life, uh, obviously, early on. And uh, we did some reading up on you, so some of these questions are going to take you back some years. Um, but anyways, I noticed in your past uh, you were a pretty mobile kid. And what I mean by that is uh, obviously you lived in Atlanta, then moved down to the Panhandle in Florida, uh, eventually ending up in Orlando. Was the beach being close a factor when you guys moved? I imagine it played... Uh, maybe in a decision-making process at some point for your parents? Yeah, when we moved to the Panhandle of Florida, um, I was in fourth grade, and my parents were looking to uh, get somewhere closer to the beach, and they actually had built a beach house a couple years before I was born. So they built it in, I believe, 1986. I was born in 88. And so they had that house, and they just decided – you know, let's simplify things and, and move to the beach. And it was great. It's a, a beautiful part of the country and a beautiful part of Florida. What was it like going to school um, down there in Florida? Obviously not going to UF, but uh, going to public school or uh, maybe some sort of private school. Yeah, um, I was homeschooled for a little while, which my mom is the most incredible teacher I've ever come in contact with. And so the amount of time that she spent teaching us and uh, just putting her heart and soul into it, trying to be a mom, but also teach is really a remarkable skill set that she has. And so did that for a little bit. And then I went to Seaside Neighborhood School for part of middle school before we moved to Orlando, uh, which then at that point I was homeschooled again for a little bit. I spent some time uh, in Orlando in a regular middle school and also went to a ballet boarding school a couple, a couple years after that. Uh, and studied in China. So I was kind of all over the place for my schooling. But for me, I, I found that to be incredibly beneficial now because when I was in middle school and high school, I was exposed to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different perspectives. I think that helps me a lot in my job because um, essentially, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, it's all about telling people stories, which basically means listening to people. I totally agree. And you mentioned, obviously, you were homeschooled uh, at a young age. Um, did this give you an edge on everyone else? So when you did go back to school, uh, especially at UF, um, you were a lot farther ahead than other people, book smart wise. Yeah, you know, I do think that um, it, it gives you an edge in some ways if you're able to be homeschooled. And I, I also think kind of what it does even further than that is it allows you to pursue your personal interests a little bit more than you would be able to otherwise. So for me, that, that was what was neat about it. You know, I had all sorts of interests growing up, and my mom and my parents, you know, my dad would a lot of times be part of our education too because they would try to take us places for his work so we could see 
different parts of the world, and I think that contributed to a lot of things I was interested in. So I think it just allows for a varied education and a little more exposure to diversity. It, it seems a little bit counterintuitive because you think, well, how could that happen if you're at home and you're not exposed to kids in public school or private school? But I think it's just more about opening your eyes to what's out there to learn. And when you have a little more time to focus on all that, uh, it ends up leading to, I, I believe, a very well-rounded education. You mentioned diversity and being with a larger small group of people in school. Did you have to really overcome anything getting integrated back uh, into school with obviously other students, maybe socially or whatever it may be? Uh, yeah, you know, I, while we were homeschooled, we participated in a homeschool group in that area of Panhandle of Florida. So we saw a lot of interaction with other kids. Yeah, they were homeschooled as well. But, um, you know, I, I just found going back to school to be great. And it, one of the things that I'm so thankful to my parents for is that always, no matter what, they just kind of encouraged me to be myself. And I felt very comfortable in that. So no matter what environment I walked into at that point or walk into now, I, I'm really just kind of a take it or leave it type person. Either you like me or you don't. And if you don't, then I'm sorry, but I'm really not that sorry. So I kind of... <laughs> I kind of just, you know, embraced whatever adjustment would be needed. And, and to me, too, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you approach people with kindness and you are welcoming to people, they have a hard time not being welcoming to you. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. But I find it hard to believe that a lot of people don't like you. Now, on the Paul Feinbaum show, you do get some callers in there uh, that are pretty uh, off the charts. But uh, that's for Paul to deal with. And he dealt with some today for sure. Um, you mentioned, though, uh, going to Shanghai and China. Um, what was it like to experience that uh, and be far away from home at such a young age? It, it was a huge eye-opener, and, and I believe it kind of forced me to mature a little quickly, a little more quickly than I would have done otherwise. And I, I was 16 and then turned 17 while I was over there. So, you know, at that point, I had only lived in the States my whole life, and I had never really been exposed for a long period of time to uh, foreign culture. And, uh, you know, obviously the language barrier there and just a lot of things that I needed to adjust to. And, uh, you know, not really speaking Mandarin. I, I spoke bare minimum of Mandarin. And then also studying in a ballet school over there, it was kind of a confluence of Mandarin and French, because ballet is French, and then English, because a lot of the students over there were learning English. They wanted to practice their English on me. Um, it, but it was an incredible experience, and, and I think when I look back on that, it really was a pivotal time in my life that created a lot of independence for me at that age, because my parents didn't come with me. So um, I'm appreciative to them for allowing me to go and do that and, and really just be exposed to an entire new world that I wasn't aware of, and I do believe that it, it helped open my eyes to sort of accept anything that was going to come my way following that time. I cannot imagine going over there at 16 and 17 years old without uh, any family members and really having to learn how to live and do things on your own. Um, so now fast forwarding here a little bit to your time uh, at the University of Florida, when did you decide what you wanted to do professionally? I guess a better question here is, what inspired you to major in broadcast journalism? Yeah, so when I got there, I still wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I, had, up until that point, had thought I would be a professional ballet dancer. So I was very focused on ballet. Like I just said, I had studied in China. Then after that, came back to the boarding school in Washington, D.C. I had a couple offers for professional contracts for, to be a professional ballerina. And 
ended up just deciding that that really wasn't the path that I needed to take. And I had full scholarship to Florida and Florida State in-state tuition. So I decided I needed to go to one of those schools. And it was a little bit last minute. And I was glad that I had at least just applied to college. I mean, at that point, you're thinking, okay, this is my dream. I'm I'm going into the ballet world. That's what I'm going to do. And you're kind of narrowly focused on that. So everything else seems like a departure from what your goal has been. And so I wasn't that focused on trying to go to school. When my focus switched, I had to very quickly kind of kick it into high gear. So I declared a communications type major. And then when I got to school, it actually wasn't until the spring of my freshman year that one of my friends knew I was looking for some extra money to pay for some classes because I had still been trying to take a bunch of dance classes because I wasn't ready to fully give up ballet. And I was running out of what my scholarship would cover for class. And so my parents were like, well, wait a second, you know, we're not going to just be sending you to college to pay for a bunch of dance classes. So knowing that I needed some extra money, she said, well, you should go and check out the on-campus radio station. And I thought, all right, you know, sure, I'll go up there and see. And I had grown up loving NPR. So I had always listened to NPR and just all the shows on there, whether it was Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Car Talk, I loved Car Talk, um, all those shows. And so I thought, well, cool, you know, this is a public radio station on campus. They'll have something NPR based. I can work on that. Maybe that'll be a career path for me. And when I got up there, they said, well, we could take you as an intern, um, but we only have one opening and it's in sports. And I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, I'm not going to say no. And so that's how I ended up doing it. I, I always did love sports, but I never considered it to be a career path until that exact moment. When when you were involved at UF at the radio station, uh, I guess this is a problem that most young people have um, or a challenge that they have, including myself. Um, did you have the most trouble like knowing the sports? Obviously, it's not a problem for me. But did you have the most problem knowing sports or the delivery uh, of a broadcast on the radio? Yeah, I think it was more the delivery of the broadcast. I mean, I had grown up knowing sports, and, and even though I was terrible at all sports, had watched a ton of sports and, and loved it. Um, but for me, just the mechanics of figuring out, okay, you know, we basically how you start at that radio station, this is similar to a lot of them, it was doing two-minute sports updates between shows. And so I needed to fill up two minutes with headlines. I needed to make it efficient. I needed to figure out how to get the information disseminated in a way that was understandable for people. I needed to lower my voice. You know, as a woman, uh, sometimes our voices are too high-pitched. I had to get it down to a level that would be good for radio, good for television as well, though at that point I was only concerned about doing radio. And there were just a lot of mechanical parts of it that I didn't know, I didn't understand. Um, Looking back, you know, initially I think what attracted me to it so much is that it was such a challenge. A lot of things, frankly, academically and beyond that, really hadn't been much of a challenge for me. And so I loved the fact that this was hard and I wasn't good at it. I was going to have to really work for it and and really try to make myself better. And um, I took every shift that was possible at that point. They, they limited you on how many you could take. But I think I was in the radio station more than I was in my actual classes, uh, definitely for the first few years of college. And it, it was great. It was the, if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, there's a part in there where he's talking about in order to be an expert in something, you need to get 10,000 hours in it. Well, I... Wow. way overdid 10,000 hours and, and you do you become so much better with that practice and that constant repetition and so that became my goal and that to me was 
what actually shaped what my career would end up being. It was those hours spent at that radio station. I wasn't very good. I didn't know the mechanics. Like you mentioned, I was trying to figure out how to just even broadcast because no one teaches you that. No one tells you what it's supposed to be. And it just took a lot of refining over those few years to get to a point where uh, I was even decent. Yeah, that sounds exactly like myself. I have definitely spent uh, notable hours in the studio, even maybe uh, over some classes, but you got to do what you got to do to be successful. Um, Was there anything else that you did at Florida um, outside of going to class and really doing radio, or were those two things uh, the main focus that you had uh, when at UF? Yeah, so sometime around 2008, I would say, which was my sophomore year of college, I realized that there was a huge interest because one of the shows that I hosted on the, on that radio station was called The Cheap Seat. And we had live callers and people who call in locally. And one of the things that people wanted to talk about was college football recruiting. And, you know, now that's sort of a mainstream thing that everybody talks about, signing day, you know, we got early signing day. But even at that point, it wasn't that long ago, but it was 10 years ago, and people didn't know as much about it. They were really hungry for that information. It was kind of on the verge of becoming a big thing. And so I realized that there was no female presence at all in college football recruiting. So I kind of decided I'm going to make this my niche. Uh, Easier said than done, because if you're going to talk about recruiting, you've got to know the scouting side of football. You need to know minute differences in a four-star and a five-star D lineman. You know, whose first step is going to make him a five-star? Why does he fit fit better in a 3-4 defense as opposed to a 4-3? You needed to know all of that, right? So I started going to these recruiting camps and these Nike combines trying to figure this recruiting world out and uh, made a lot of connections in it and so I just started tweeting out information that I would get from whether it was players who were being recruited or coaches or whatever it may be and that caught the attention of some of the Gator sites that because most of what I tweeted about was Gator related so I started working for Gator Country TV and Gator Country the website Uh, I, I did written articles and I would also do a TV show that we hosted essentially out of a garage and that was kind of my first TV experience. So that was my sophomore and junior year of college. And then I did a little bit of my senior year too. But once I got kind of my foot in the door in the recruiting world, it opened a ton more doors for me because uh, that was truly a niche. I mean, nobody else was doing that. And, and I realized that it did differentiate me from, you know, kind of anybody else who just wanted to be on TV or radio at that point. So um, that that was kind of the other thing that I did that was really difference maker I think and and then you know aside from that I was very involved on campus I was a campus tour guide so I gave uh, tours at University of Florida the group is called the Florida Sister Rounds and that actually allowed me a few times to do uh, official visits for some of the players families who were coming to look at Florida football which was a unique perspective as well because in that recruiting world that I was sort of trying to figure out, then I had an inside perspective of what an official visit actually is like. And so did that for a little bit. I did some stuff with student government, uh, the freshman leadership council, all kinds of things like that. And it was great. I think all of it led to a, a really pointed part of what was making me into what I ultimately wanted to be. But at that point, I didn't even realize, you know, kind of how these roads were all converging at a certain point. I I was just doing anything and everything that came my way. You sounded like you never had time to really do anything uh, at all. But keeping busy uh, is probably what you like. And a lot of people like it. Um, But also at UF, uh, this is probably our last question about the Florida radio station. We'll get off of that. 
Um, but this is really important, and I, I read this uh, about you. Um, so your career obviously really took off from the radio station because of a phone call that you received one day. Could you talk a little bit uh, more about that? Yeah, so that was my junior year of college, and at that point I was, you know, constantly on the radio. I hosted the show Cheap Seats that I talked about and also doing a lot of other things uh, on some of these recruiting websites as well as, you know, just some other uh, written content and things like that as well. And um, one day I came out from doing the show and somebody in the radio station was like, oh, there's a phone call for you. Like, what? You know, who would be calling me? And they're like, well, it's Fox Sports, and they want to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, that's a funny joke. And, <laughs> you know, I was the only girl in there, and I thought the guys were just giving me a hard time. And I was laughing, like, okay, sure, whatever. And so I answered the phone, expecting it to be, you know, one of our friends or something like that. And sure enough, it was a Fox Sports executive who just happened to be driving through Gainesville and had heard me on the radio. Now, they didn't know I was still in college. They thought, well, she must be like some graduated person who's just like here in Gainesville working on the radio station. And they ended up hiring me uh, on the spot, like over the phone to be their recruiting analyst on their national signing day show, basically countdown to signing day that aired every other week uh, leading up to signing day on Fox sports. And so I started doing that my senior year and then beyond that uh, of college, which was just an incredible opportunity as a college student to be doing and it really all resulted from the knowledge that they heard on the radio which to me that was one of the coolest things about it you know it had nothing to do with what they saw on tv or what they saw from a photo or something like that it was all based on knowledge that i was giving on you know x y and z recruited to or considering florida or considering other schools and um that ended up being one of those right place right time type situations but it led to a ton more opportunity than that. That's an amazing turn of events, and uh, that's quite incredible. How did all of this land you a job uh, at ESPN and the SEC Network in 2014? Yeah, so just to you know, kind of summarize, I. I did the Fox Sports thing for a couple of years, ended up getting an opportunity to be the Tampa Bay Rays reporter in the 2011 season. So I was still in college at that point, but drove between Gainesville and Tampa uh, to do that job. And we'd like, go do a game and then come back and, you know, take a test the next morning in one of my classes. Uh, that was sort of a wild final semester of school. Uh, so I did the Rays reporting job for two years. And during that time, because I had had the familiarity with Fox Sports and the recruiting side, they started using me on some Big 12 and Conference USA sideline for college football. So did a little bit of that in football season. And then in 2013, I had an opportunity to go work out in San Diego at Fox Sports San Diego and be the San Diego Padres reporter. And the reason why I took that job was because they were going to give me an opportunity to host. And I knew at age 24, I wasn't getting that opportunity anywhere else. And so uh, I figured I need to go out there and do that. And, and I did, and, and it, was, it ended up being very valuable because I wouldn't have gotten that chance until way later probably, and it would have put me behind, you know, where I am now, certainly, if I hadn't had that experience. So San Diego was awesome, and it was a great year. Um, and then I found out that the SEC Network was starting in 2014, and I thought, okay, I've done all this work, you know, whether it be Major League Baseball or whether it be Big 12. I had done some 
Pac-12 basketball, Conference USA, but I had yet to get back to the SEC, which was my core, and that was what I loved the most. And I thought, I'm just going to try, you know, to get a job at this place. And at this point, I'm 25, but I've got a ton of experience and a really good resume reel at age 25. You would think, you know, hey, this is a no-brainer. Unfortunately, it was not that easy, and I had to consistently send emails. I mean, I probably emailed these people. Anybody I could find that was even remotely related to ESPN, I was sending them an email and just getting down their doors. And uh, finally, you know, I just gave up on thinking it was even going to be an option because we were probably three weeks until the network was launching. And so I had started freelancing at CNN, actually. I was hosting an international sports show called World Sport on CNN International, sometimes aired on CNN. And I just figured, okay, this is going to be my new career path. I'm going to work at CNN. I'm going to work at HLN. You know, this is what it is, right? And then um, about two weeks, two and a half weeks before SEC Network launched, I finally got an email back. They wanted to interview me in the Atlanta airport. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this, this doesn't seem like you're very serious about it. But I thought, fine, you know, I'll do anything to, to get this. And I went and did the interview, and I kind of thought, I don't know if I got it. You know, I, I felt like maybe it went okay, but I couldn't figure it out. And um, they ended up calling me and saying that, yes, I got the job, and that in two days I needed to report to Lexington, Kentucky, for the launch of the SEC Network, which is where I was on August 14, 2014. And it, it was such a – it was such a positive moment because that was something that I wanted so badly, but it was also a moment of realization that I was now starting at the bottom. Once again, I had worked my way up at Fox sports. I, you know, at, at my age at the time, it was always like, okay, you're probably too young for this, but we're going to give you a chance type thing. And I had worked my way up and proven myself. And now, you know, I was going from having everything at Fox sports San Diego and potentially Fox sports one and beyond. And, you know, making a good salary and all this to my salary being cut into a third of what it was, maybe even less than that, wow. and 12 events. My first contract at ESPN SEC Network was a 12-event deal. I ended up that year doing 68 events on a 12-event deal, but that was through uh, scratching and clawing my way on every single thing that SEC Network would let me do. So it was, it was interesting because it was what I wanted, and I got what I wanted, but then I was like, oh, man, you know, this is a major knockdown, and I'm going to have to then climb my way back up to show and prove to an entire new company what I can do. Working for a company like ESPN and the SEC Network, obviously they're tied into one, um, you do get, uh, well, not just you in general, but a lot of people there uh, probably have a lot of critics uh, social media-wise, even when you're on the Feinbaum show and people call in uh, and want to act crazy. How do you combat those people who try and throw shade at you saying things like, oh, you've never put the pads on, you don't know what you're talking about, or the worst one, you're a girl, what are you doing in sports? That's blasphemous. Uh, I just took a word out of Stephen A. Smith's playbook. Uh, but how do you combat uh, those people who try and do that and throw you under the bus? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I'm always appalled at the fact that people behave that way, and I shouldn't be because it happens on a daily basis, but I really try to give people the benefit of the doubt, and, and I just hope for better out of people, and unfortunately, sometimes people just, you know, I don't know what happens, and, and I think a lot of people truly believe that women don't belong in sports, and uh, you kind of have to win them over, but for me, you know, what I found is that at the end of the day, I know what I know. I know how 
much I'm bringing to the table. I know how much research I do. I know how much time I put into this. And if that's not good enough for people just because it's something I can't change, like I can't change that I'm a woman, right? So um, at that point, you just kind of have to say, okay, they're going to hate me and I'm just going to move on. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And you just, you really cannot let it affect you. And, and I'd be lying if I said it didn't sometimes affect me and I didn't sometimes look at some of those things and it stung a little bit. But at the end of the day, uh, what I found is it actually has made me a lot stronger because really nothing can come my way that, that freaks me out at this point. I mean, I've been attacked on every level on live television, on Paul's show, um, live radio as well. And, and, you know, that's, that's different from getting a mean tweet, right? Because a mean tweet gives you time to sort of reflect on it and nah, maybe I'll respond, maybe I'll come up with something clever. But when, when it's happening live and you are you have a camera on you and you have to compose yourself somehow and say something that's going to defend yourself, um, and Paul does a great job of, you know, I don't I, Paul doesn't need to defend me. Like, I can defend myself, right? And so yeah. Paul does a great job of sort of staying back and letting me do that and um, letting me kind of stand up for what I represent and what I think is important. And at the end of the day, I also think, too, one, one reminder that has really rung true for me is just – doing it with kindness. So obviously if someone's that angry, then they have issues going on in their lives that maybe we don't understand. And so um, always approaching people with a level of being firm, because I do believe in standing up for who you are and, and standing up for others like you, but making sure too that you're approaching it from somewhat of an understanding or at least a, a mellow tone that isn't going to be you know mistaken as being ugly or rude. And um, you just don't want to stoop to that level. Yeah, you're leading into the next question I was going to ask you because some people are just absolutely crazy. But like you said, you don't know what's going on in their lives. Uh, something could be totally wrong or totally different uh, that you don't know about. So you kind of have to play the balance game there. But what goes into you tweeting um, at people? So sometimes people will tweet at you and say nasty things. But I notice it's actually quite funny because you'll start off by saying something sarcastic at the first part. But it's true. And then you'll end on a funny note. Is that something that you try to do uh, with all of your <laughs> tweets? Because I noticed that. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was doing that. But that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, it, the, the amount of tweets I don't respond to far outweighs the ones that I do. But uh, sometimes, you know, I think what, it, what happens is sometimes I just sit there and I say, you know what, this person should not be able to get away with this, right? Like, you yeah. need to see what this person's saying. And, and it's if I can have a little fun, make fun of myself a little bit, um, you know, show my personality, I'm, I'm all for it. And, and I do think that those are the types of things. I mean, it, it's an interesting world that we live in now with social media and just media in general. I think fans crave this closeness to people. They want to know what are athletes like, what are coaches actually like, what, what are these, you know, broadcasters who we watch on our favorite shows, what are they like? What, who are they? And so if you can give them a peek and, you know, I have an open book. I, I, I want people to know whatever they want to know about me, right? Like anything you want to know, I'll tell you. I have nothing to hide. And, and I'm, I'll tell you just as much the bad and the good. So to me, if, if you can have kind of some fun on Twitter, it's a great way to keep it light and to just be like, okay, guys, like this is ridiculous. And one thing that I found too, I've had a lot of young women come up to me and say, you know, 
seeing that people were saying those things to you actually helped me feel better about some things that people were saying to me. Uh, people are mean, and we see that a lot. There's a lot of bullying that goes on, and certainly what I'm dealing with is, is nothing compared to you know, what people deal with on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, if I can have a little bit of fun with some of those quote-unquote bullies, I do, I do think that there are a few people who found some encouragement from that. We're running up against a break here. When we come back, Laura is still with us, shifting into discussing the NCAA championship game uh, and the impact the SEC had uh, in the tournament this season. Stay with us. Who would set a limit to the mind of man? Who would dare assert that we know all there is to be known? UPMC challenges those limits. Today at UPMC, we create the future and make life-changing medicine happen. At Duquesne University, something changes within you. Every change in your perspective can transform the way you see the world. See what happens when the hardest thing you've ever attempted becomes the biggest thing you've ever accomplished. When the lessons you've learned become the values that drive you. When the path you follow becomes the life you lead. This is where minds find compassion, hearts gain wisdom, and the spirit guides you every step of the way. Duquesne University. The leader the best. While the Mercedes-Benz S-Class has sat at the pinnacle of automotive excellence for generations, we have never settled on past glory. That has always been our challenge and our mission. To continually innovate and push technologies forward to shape the future of every automobile to come. On each S-Class, there lies a simple badge, and it serves as a timeless reminder and a constant call to never rest on laurels and to forever earn the star. This is the car the world looks to. This is the 2018 S-Class from Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. This season on baseball, Mike Trout heads to work. Clayton's mad, and he's throwing like it. Giancarlo doesn't care. He's busy contemplating the 600-foot home run. Mookie Betts, the man with the city of Boston resting on his shoulders. Over in Cleveland, Edwin's got big plans, and the boys from Queens are back together and hungry. This season, Cy Young is up for grabs. Jose's eyeing 400. And Bryce Harper's having visions of cold October ball. These boys know the feeling. And everyone else is chasing after it. Ain't that right, Tito? That's this season on baseball. Is the Southeastern Conference where you go away to college? Not exactly. Yes, we come from all corners, from all histories and experiences. And even though there are unique customs, new favorite foods, and new languages, the SEC is not really where you go away to college. 
It's where you come home. Because here, it just means more. Welcome back to the program. Laura Rutledge of ESPN and the SEC Network is still here with us. Now let's shift into the NCAA championship game that just happened and how big of a year it was for the greatest conference in the world, the SEC. So, Laura, eight teams from the SEC did make the tournament this season. Uh, Obviously, the previous record was six, I believe. Why was there such a record turnout amongst teams from uh, this conference this season? Uh, It seemed like it came uh, in a very short amount of time. What really attributed to this? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people thought maybe the SEC was another year away, uh, and and they weren't. You know, turns out they actually were able to get it done quicker, uh, one year quicker than they thought. And I think it it has a lot to do with the fact that you got some better coaching in the league, and that leads to better recruiting. And then it also was just the fact that those kids really bought in, and they played better than maybe what people expected. Um, You know, it was was a fascinating year because Kentucky wasn't the dominant team the entire time. Tennessee really rose to the challenge. Rick Barnes, uh, what he was able to do was really remarkable with that Tennessee team. And I think once again, you know, next year you'll see – just as much success from the SEC, um, you know, at least from some of those teams that we saw success from before. It, it was a fun year, and I, I believe it'll continue to grow and continue to get better because there are so many of these coaches that are still going to be around. The eight SEC teams did uh, draw some tough games and saw themselves exiting the tournament early. I think the eight SEC teams were 8-8 uh, eight and eight overall. Uh, obviously, there was only eight teams in the tournament, but that was the record uh, between SEC teams and the other opponents they played. Uh, and I think all the eight SEC teams were gone before the Elite Eight. But like I said, uh, they drew some tough matchups. Laura, the hashtag, it just means more, has been more relevant than ever this season. Well, at least it seems like it, uh, especially in hoops. Why does it, what does it mean uh, for this conference to get as many teams in as they did? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the SEC is thought of as a football conference. It should be thought of as a baseball and softball conference. But basketball was kind of a sport that was lagging behind a little bit and wasn't quite given as much credit because they didn't deserve the credit. And it was really just Kentucky and Florida sometimes and everybody else. So uh, for them to get to the point where the SEC is truly factoring in from a national spectrum and a, a group of teams that, you know, aren't just fluky teams, I, I think you'll see in the – top 10 for next year Kentucky should be there Tennessee should be there um you know there are plenty of talented groups that uh, could end up back in that top 10 so to me I I think it's just more about the fact that you know you're looking at a conference that was already dominant in so many other sports but now has added dominance in another yeah I totally agree and we saw the worst team statistically probably in the conference this year maybe not but Georgia they they weren't really that great this uh past season uh, and they struggled, and they made a new coaching change, obviously hiring Tom Crean, uh, the former Indiana and Marquette coach. Uh, how big of a struggle do you think it's going to be for Coach Crean to really jump all over uh, these other teams that are one, two, three, four, even five in the conference? Yeah, I don't think it'll be too much of a struggle. And, and one of the reasons why is because it just didn't take that long to turn over a basketball team. If we're talking about a football team, that takes some time. But for hoops, you know, we saw Missouri do it, and they didn't even have Michael Porter Jr. They would have been a totally different team if they had actually had Michael Porter Jr. instead of just his brother, Jonte, this entire year. So uh, I think if Coach Kareem can get a couple of really talented players in there, we will see dramatic differences. For his sake, I wish that Yante Mayton was still around uh, because 
he's a difference maker beyond belief. But um, I don't think it takes that long. I expect Coach Cream to have a ton of success at Georgia. And I don't know if it'll be this year, obviously, but I think in the next couple of years we'll see Georgia once again contending, which is exactly why that was a great hire. Yeah, he's definitely one of the most underrated coaches in the country and probably in the conference. Uh, sneaky good. Uh, now I want to shift into the uh, NCAA championship game that just happened. Um, Villanova was on another level in this game. Uh, Michigan kind of let the game get away from them. Um, like I said, I don't know how much of the game you actually watched. If you caught the highlights, it was on pretty late. But I do want to throw two facts at you. You probably have seen them, but uh, we talked about them earlier in our show. Uh, but anyways, it's been 106 games since Villanova has lost by double digits. Uh, as crazy as that sounds. And also Villanova is the first team since North Carolina to win each tournament game by 10 or more points. What was it for Villanova this season? I don't, like I said, I don't know how much of a chance you've had to watch them, but it seemed like they were the most dominant team all year, or did they just run into a really good schedule um, in the regular season um, and in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, as a college basketball fan, watched a lot of Villanova this year. And uh, once again, I think we saw their dominance. And, uh, you know, the thing that's incredible about that team is that you see a lot of teams that can be dominant, but then they'll have those moments of sort of relenting and not being exactly at the level that they should be. And we never really saw that out of Villanova. And I think that's especially in this tournament. I mean, it wasn't just a matter of getting hot in tournament play. This is what they've done all season long, and they just kicked it into a second year um, you know, last night and, and even up until this point in the tournament. So it wasn't a surprise. I was a little bit surprised that Michigan didn't bring a little more to the table. I expected it to be more of a game than that, although I would have picked Villanova to win. But uh, I, I think what we've seen from this team is, is just one of the more dominant runs that you've seen from any team. In a year that was crazy in college basketball, they were one thing that you could rely on. You could always hang your hat on Nova being good. And you just thought, okay, you know, are we going to see something crazy happen like a 16 seed beat a one seed, which is what we saw. But the thing about Virginia is that to me, they always felt susceptible to a loss because they were so defensive minded and really couldn't score. Villanova, the most complete team, ends up winning the national championship. The big conversation uh, on social media in probably the last 36 to 48 hours, even 24 to 36 hours, is about Coach Jay Wright uh, of Villanova. Now he has two titles. He's tied with. Uh, Roy Williams and Coach K are are the only active coaches with two titles now. Um, do you think Jay Wright belongs in that conversation as being uh, one of the top coaches, obviously now, uh, but all time? Uh, yeah, no, I think he has solidified his name in that conversation. And you know, once you start winning a couple national championships in any sport, you should be considered some of the best of the best because we all know how difficult that is to do there are just so many things that could happen along the way that would put you in a scenario where you're not going to win so I, I do believe that he deserves to be in that conversation I'll th i think he'll continue to be there and what we've seen him do this year he can do it again you know and and he's already done it before now so i believe he's got more national championships left in him yeah we saw villanova they have a few players leaving for the nba draft but they're uh, are some good players coming back for that program, and they should look to obviously be one of the best teams in the country next year. Laura, uh, how did your bracket end up if you did uh, fill one out? Oh, it was busted uh, <laughs> very early on because I had Virginia 
I, I still, even though I wasn't fully convinced about them, I thought, okay, they're going to figure it out. I did a couple of their games this year. They they had so many veterans on that team. They just were so even killed mentally. Obviously, Coach Bennett is a great coach. I thought they're going to win it, and I ended up picking them to win. So uh, mine was pretty bad early on. I also had Tennessee advancing to the Final Four, which I truly believe they would be the SEC team that would make it that far, and uh, they did not do that. So, yeah, it was it was <laughs> – I didn't do so well, but I don't know that anybody did. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I also saw that, uh, I think it was during, um, during right before the tournament, I believe, um, or it actually might have been a few days before the tournament, they had you doing the 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. time slot, I believe it was, on ESPN with um, Farnham and all those guys there. What was it like to be on TV from 1 a.m. to 4? You had to have been exhausted. Yeah, you know, I had um, hosted Sports Center earlier that day, then went back for that 1 a.m. to 4 a.m., and then had to be back at 6 a.m. for the following Sports Center. So, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. I was I was pretty tired, but it was also fun, and and I think we did some weird things on TV. You yeah. kind of forget that you're even on TV uh, at that point in those hours. But no, it was it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Farnham falling into that table after running through that challenge was one of the funnier things I've seen on ESPN uh, in quite some time. Um, what's next for you uh, in the coming weeks, uh, either at the SEC Network, covering gymnastics, softball? Um, what is really next for you? Uh, this weekend, the Auburn Spring Game. Then I'm hosting Sports Center for a week in Bristol. Then the A&M Spring Game, uh, the weekend, that following weekend. Um, and then NCAA Gymnastics Championship, and then we get into um, some NFL draft coverage, and following that, it starts the whole softball and baseball run, which will be um, kind of the rest of the summer for me, because I do SEC softball tournament, SEC baseball tournament, women's college world series, and men's college world series. Man, I don't know how you have time to really do anything or relax, but uh, you probably love your job so much that it's not even really work uh, for you. Um, last week we had, obviously, you know, we had Paul Feinbaum on our show, um, and he's obviously one of your favorite people. Um, and we asked him if there's anything you want to say to Laura, the floor is yours. Um, and he said, if I told you the truth about Laura Rutledge, she'd probably be out of a job. And he was obviously joking, of course, uh, cause you know, Paul, um, but anyways, is there anything you want to say to Paul in response to when he comes back on the show? Well, I would just say, Paul, better watch out. If he's going to start <laughs> saying that about me, you know, I got plenty on him. But uh, no, what I would really want to say to Paul is just thank you because he's been such a wonderful friend and a great person to work with and has obviously given me incredible opportunities and uh, truly one of my favorite people in the world. Well, that does it here for episode 11 of the Anthony Ferrella Show. Laura, I would love to thank you so much for coming on today. And we hope to have you back on sooner rather than later. I know you're super busy, and I, I don't know how you have time to do anything or relax. Uh, but like I said, it was an honor to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. You can get Laura at Laura M. Rutledge on Twitter and Instagram. She is the best follow probably, and it's not a whole lot close. Uh, when the going gets tough, let the tough get going. Thanks for listening. You can catch us live. Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Central Time at our streaming link. If you miss a show, don't worry. We've got you covered. Head over to soundcloud.com forward slash anthforella.
or search for us on Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode of the show. Don't forget us on Twitter at AF underscore WDSR.